Prepare for the next chapter in I Shall Survive Using Potions as we dive into Part 3 of our Alchemical Odyssey. Our protagonist's journey continues, unveiling new challenges and unlocking the secrets of potions in the quest for survival. Join us in this installment as we explore uncharted territories, encounter formidable adversaries, and witness the evolution of our hero's alchemical prowess. This is I Shall Survive Using Potions, Part 3, where every drop counts in the pursuit of resilience and triumph. It makes you want more of her, right? Yeah, definitely more, Alan chimed in. Wah. She's still just a young girl. Fernand chided. Not like that. Around that same time, the waitresses of the restaurant were busy raising a toast to Keiru, with tea of course. They were, after all, getting one whole silver coin out of the deal. They rarely got much from tips from their commoner patrons, and working at a fairly cheap restaurant meant the waitresses had fairly meager wages to match, and here they were getting a silver coin each without even doing anything. It was safe to say they were grateful to Keiru for that. Incredibly grateful. Hmm. Even without cheats, this is easy-peasy. Kaira was feeling pretty full of herself. She was so full of herself, in fact, that she forgot the one small detail of having an adult's brain with modern-day knowledge while looking like a child was a pretty big cheat in and of itself. Chapter 5, Getting It All Out There He's back again, muttered, furrowing my eyebrows. That ferny guy Alan had brought in, before, had been showing up here more often lately. He'd always show up right when things were getting busy, calling me over to his table to ask me a whole bunch of questions out of nowhere. If he kept this up, my boss wasn't going to let me run my counseling service anymore. Mean was only supposed to do it during the off times when the crowd had thinned out. It wasn't like Amy and Agath couldn't run the restaurant by themselves during rush hour. Alan knew the rules, so why not this guy? Right now, that troublesome customer was staring straight at me while slurping up a bowl of big and soft soup noodles, one of the dishes, got the restaurant to officially put on the menu, it's udon, by the way. His hair was a nice shade of blonde, and it was true he didn't look half bad. Still, my only thoughts on him were as follows. What a creep. Prince Fernand had become very, very interested in Keiru, and would frequently come to the restaurant to watch her work. It wasn't like he was the king, yet, so as long as he didn't slack off too much and let work pile up, it wasn't like he had much to do in the first place. For some reason, Fernand wouldn't invite Fabio along, having snuck out to the restaurant all alone, and Alan had gone back to his hometown the other day, meaning he was out of the picture for now. While it wasn't as if Fernand was completely ignorant to the ways of the world, the concept of not bothering other people was foreign to him. Being the prince, there was no one around him who had work that took priority over him after all. It was because of this fact that he simply forgot about why Alan had taken them to the restaurant way past the lunch rush, despite how Alan specifically mentioned only going after the last order was called and the waitresses had less work to deal with. People were meant to work themselves around his schedule. To Fernand, that was just common sense, and that was exactly why he committed faux pas after faux pas. He would call for Keiru when the restaurant was packed. Even when Keiru had other people reserved her for counseling, he would push his way ahead of them so he could see her first. His questions began heading into territory that Keiru didn't want to talk about, like how he started asking her for more personal information. At first, 
Keiru had made sure to handle it as well as any person would. He was a friend of Alan's after all, so she put up with him somewhat. She diligently answered all his questions on political policies for the country, even though she couldn't tell if he was testing or messing with her. But Fernand's questions and actions began escalating over time, getting to the point where Keiru couldn't even answer them anymore. He was even beginning to cause trouble for the other customers as well. There was a limit to these sorts of things. It was true he paid well, but the way he was going about it made it seem like he was saying Keiru would do anything as long as he gave her money for it, and that attitude was ticking her off. Even when he threw in a gold coin to show off, it only made her be even more on guard. Finally, Keiru went to her boss to ask him for a favor. The manager and the other employees already knew Keiru was having trouble with Fernand, which was how she received permission to say two specific replies to him. I'm sorry, but can no longer be your waitress, Fernie. If you need to order anything, please ask one of the other staff. The next day, Fernand went out of his way to ignore the fact that Agath was right near him and call Keiru over, and such was her response. It was practically written on the other customers' faces that they were wondering when this was going to happen. A blank expression hung on Fernand's face, as if he couldn't come to terms with what he'd just heard, before suddenly flying off the handle. W.H. What are you saying? Why not? Already told you why, didn't? Keiru began answering coolly. Over and over again at that. You're causing trouble for the other customers, and I've had enough. Someone else will be in charge of taking your orders from now on, and won't be taking any more of your requests for counseling either. Fernand's legs almost gave out when Keiru glared at him. Granted, most normal people would tremble in fear if Keiru truly put everything into glaring at them, especially since she already had that harsh look in her eyes to begin with. B but I'm a paying customer. You can't do that to a... The manager told me he'd be fine without your business if you tried getting involved with me any further. The other customers murmured their surprise that even the owner of the restaurant had gone this far. W.H. What? What are you? The only ones who had told Fernand no to one of his requests were his parents and his two friends. A bubbling anger built up inside him at being denied until it swallowed him completely. He suddenly grabbed her arm and yanked her toward him. Come with me. Ow. Stop it. Fernand was trying to drag Keiru away from the restaurant as she struggled against him. A girl like you doesn't belong here. You're coming back with me. Amy and Agath came running over to stand in front of him, and the other customers got up as well to block his path. The owner and the chefs also came sprinting out of the kitchen to stop him. Get out of the way. Do you have any idea, Hole? He stopped halfway through his sentence, suddenly coming to terms with the cold stares fixed solely on him. That, combined with the look of disgust in Keiru's eyes, caused him to lose the ability to speak. His head rapidly cooled off, and regret began building up inside him. What was, doing here? Was, really about to let slip the fact that I'm royalty? Fernand let go of Keiru's arm, then silently left the restaurant. I'm sorry for causing so much trouble, everyone. Keiru looked absolutely crestfallen as she apologized, but the customers around her immediately tried cheering her up, telling her, It's not your fault at all, Keiru, and we'll be here to protect you anytime you need it, so don't worry about it. 
a mug of ale on the house, to everyone who stood in that guy's way to protect Keiru. Cheers erupted inside the restaurant at the owner's words, since every single customer there had stood up for her. It had been three weeks since that incident. Hadn't seen Fernie back at the restaurant since then, and, spent my days in relative peace, everyone at my workplace and all the customers had been really good to me, and, took a day off every ten days to go the library to study up on where, was, thanks to that, I'd gotten a pretty good grasp on everything, needed to know about this world, or this continent, should say. Knew everything from the countries around me, and even their political climates. Just like what Charles had told me back when, was hitching a ride with him and his dad, the kingdom of Brancot was located at the base of a peninsula that stuck out to the west. The country was surrounded by oceans to the north and south, and by four other countries, to the west and east. The political situation here was relatively stable compared to the other countries, and, along with the kingdom of Balmore to the north, Brancot was said to be a country that was very easy to live in. I'd say Seals ended up dropping me off in a pretty good place, considering it was her. As, was thinking all this over while sweeping around the entrance to the shop, a super fancy carriage came up and parked itself right in front of the restaurant. You. Girl, would this be the Big Belly Bistro? An arrogant-sounding voice called out to me from the open window of the coach. That's right, almost forgot how generic-sounding this place's name is. Oh, yes, it is. Even if wanted to snuff him, nothing good would come of going against a noble, but I'd still go against them if needed to, of course. Then would a girl by the name of Kaira be here? Why, yes, that would be me. Sirens were blaring in my head, telling me nothing about this was good. What? With a shout, the man speaking stuck his face out the window. You're telling me that Kairu is this slash itt slash eager backslash. Well, excuse me for being little. Everything about the haughty, chubby man, practically, screamed aristocrat. He looked me up and down for a few seconds before sticking something that looked like a letter out the window of the coach. Don't be so lazy about it, man. Take it. Didn't say a word as, reached out and grabbed the letter from him. Couldn't really just ignore him at this point after all. At the same time, someone stepped down from the other side of the coach and placed a decently sized trunk down on the side of the road. The window to the carriage closed, and the person who set the box down got back in before the cart trundled away without anyone explaining a thing to me. He heck is this? Didn't know what it was, but, did know, had a bad feeling about it. And, somehow, didn't think, was going to be wrong about that, hadn't touched the box at all, by the way. Mean, the guy hadn't said anything to me about it, and he'd left it in front of the hardware store right by us instead of the restaurant. That was probably a delivery for someone else, that's all. I'd just be a thief if, tried touching it, so touch, shan't. No one said anything to me about it, and it was even delivered to a completely different place, so it didn't have anything to do with me. Nope, nothing at all. After going back into the shop, waited a little bit before checking again, only to find that the box was already gone. Yup, looks like whoever that was supposed to be delivered to picked up their stuff. Alright, let's move on to the problem at hand, the letter. Opened the envelope with great trepidation, and inside, found a single sheet of paper. It was an invitation to a party being held at the Royal Palace next week. All right, looks like my hunch was right on the money, 
wasn't happy about that at all though. Discount Aleman wasn't in a good mood. He'd been entrusted with delivering an invitation for the prince's party being held next week, which was a good thing. This wasn't an invitation that had been made en masse to be sent to the other party guests, but something given to him directly from the prince. This was something to be ecstatic about. The recipient was probably someone the prince's heart was set on. He thought there must be some good fortune waiting for him at being made the bearer of such happy news, but the moment he thought that, he made the woeful discovery that the invitation was addressed to a commoner. The prince is using me, a viscount, as an errand boy, for some commoner. He almost fainted from the humiliation. Not only was he being made to deliver this commoner's invitation, but a trunk with a dress, shoes, and a handwritten letter from the prince himself. Was this girl his secret lover or something? Was he planning on revealing her in front of everyone at the party? He may be able to use that information, to his advantage. One is what Aleman thought, but it turned out the recipient was just a child. She did have good features, but the look in her eyes was awful, make other children cry awful. There was no feasible way she could be his lover. All Aleman could wonder was what sort of cruel joke this was. He had a job to deliver the prince's letter, personally so he made sure to hold the farthest corner of the invitation as he handed it through the window of his coach so he wouldn't have to risk being touched by a commoner. There was no need for him to hand over the box with the dress and shoes in it himself, so he made the attendant with him set it down. After finishing his unpleasant task, he immediately left for home. Oh, what a truly horrible day this was. Doesn't look like, can wiggle my way out of this one, huh? I'd ignored that box from earlier on purpose, and it wasn't like, didn't have my hunches over what that invitation could be about. It was true, wanted someone here who would support me, but not like this. Already had tons of food packed away in my item box, as well as all the money I'd saved up from my job. Learned my lesson from last time and made sure to stock up on plenty of water too. Potions just didn't do the trick when it came to washing your face, or that's the feeling, got at least. All right then. Time to prepare myself for the worst. Six days later, had the manager and all my co-workers gathered together after telling them, had something important to talk about. Came clean and told them how some higher-up had singled me out and summoned for me tomorrow. Didn't tell them about how they called me to the palace or anything, but, figured, should at least give them a heads up so it didn't come back to bite me later. Everyone was shocked and even recommended, run away right now if, didn't like it, but, laughed it off and told them, would be fine. Amy and Agath were crying and clinging to me, but that wasn't because they'd be losing their other source of income, right? Sorry about that, girls. Everyone else there was sad over me leaving as well. The past few months had been relatively peaceful, and I'd managed to get a grasp on this country's culture, economy, and almost everything else you could want to know. Now would have been just the right time for me to look for a place to begin settling down, if this hadn't happened. This town could have been where started my new life proper, but it didn't look like that was going to happen anymore, would work lunchtime as normal tomorrow, then leave the restaurant for good right after. Couldn't just run away now. Was going to the palace, just watch. I'd make sure to put an end to this, and in a way where they weren't going to. Send people chasing after me again. The time was evening, and the place was the main entrance to the castle. 
Excuse me, a single noble girl called out to the guard standing at the gate. I received an invitation for the party, so may go through? The guard was taken aback by her words. He knew there was a party being held today, and he knew of the droves of nobles who were invited as well. But if she was supposed to be nobility, normally she should have arrived with the rest of her family in a carriage bearing their family crest. At the very least, a noble's daughter would never come walking up to a party. Ever. Though it was obvious she didn't exactly look like the type of person to be invited to a party at the palace, she was wearing a dress no commoner would be able to get their hands on. Most importantly of all, she had an invitation. If he were to turn away the daughter of an aristocrat who was actually invited, heads would roll, more specifically, his. And that wasn't a figure of speech. Those eyes. They were the eyes of someone who was used to tormenting those below her. She had to be the wicked daughter of some aristocrat's family, no doubt about it. This wasn't a girl to be trifled with. The girl gave the guard a slight bow before heading through the gate. Kairu slipped in with the other guests pouring into the castle, wandering around to find a room to be in. She finally found herself a dressing room, filled with older and younger women alike fixing their dresses, tightening their corsages, redoing their makeup, it was pretty much an all-purpose room for girls here. She took off her hand-me-down from the baron's daughter that she'd snuck off with during her escape a while back before changing into her maid outfit, also taken from the baron's mansion. Who would have thought the daughter's old clothes would come in handy so much? After she finished changing, Kairu quietly left the room before finding an older maid with an air of dignity about her. Um, excuse me. Was told to head where the party is. The woman turned around, looking Kairu over with bloodshot eyes. Great, some backup from one of the other noble families. Do you have any experience serving drinks? Do you think you can hold about five or six glasses on a tray and walk around the room? Though Kairu couldn't help but notice how scary the woman's eyes were, she decided she wasn't exactly one to talk. Why yes, I've had some experience as a waitress. All right, then you'll be a great help. Go into that room over there and find some clothes you can change into. After, head out to the party and circle around out there. If the supervisor out on the floor tells you anything different, follow their directions instead. Now hurry. A all right. Swept along at the woman's urging, Kaira dashed off to get changed. Prince Fernand had a sour look on his face as he scanned the venue of the party. It was around then that Alan came over to talk with him, finally back from home and wearing some clothes an actual noble would wear for once. What's with the scary face, Fernie? Heard this party was supposed to be some informal way of you choosing who you'd be getting hitched to, but none of the ladies are going to come close if you look like that. Alan probably hadn't gone back to the restaurant since he'd come back, since he didn't bring up the incident with Fernan and Kairu, but on the inside. So it was him behind this after all. A silence fell over the room at the commoner girl's disrespectful attitude toward the prince. I'm not talking about that. I'm asking why a guest, invited here, is working as a maid. A guest? The nobles around them were in silent shock over those words. Mean, I'm just a commoner girl working as a waitress. If someone told me to come to a party at the castle without any explanation whatsoever, don't you think I'd assume it was to help out with the wait staff? There's no way, could be a guest, don't even have a dress for these things, Kairu answered indifferently.
W.H. what? Fernand went speechless for a moment, then yelled out across the room. Viscount Aleman. Where is Viscount Aleman? Why yes, right here. Aleman came running through the crowd after his name was called. Fernand fixed the man with a glare. Viscount Aleman specifically made a request to you, did not? Deliver her the invitation, the dress, the shoes, and my letter. How do you explain this? L-certainly delivered them to her, the Viscount stammered, sweating bullets. You say that, but look at her. Oh, is this the person who came to the restaurant? All he said back, then was, take this, and handed me the invitation to the castle before leaving. Kairu answered Fernand's question for Aleman. What about the dress and the letter? Haven't the faintest idea. That is not true. The Viscount turned white as a sheet when he heard their conversation. I delivered that box with the dress, shoes, and your letter in it. Box? Are you talking about the package delivered to the place next door? E what? Well, another person came out of the carriage and left a box or something near the shop next to ours. W.H. What happened to that package? Fernand shouted furiously. He didn't say anything about it, so, wasn't going to go and take a package that, thought was for the store next door. When checked in on it a little while after, the box was already gone. Thought whoever it was for took it away. Then the dress, and my letter, Fernand shot a menacing glare at Aleman. What is the meaning of this? We'll be discussing this in detail later, Viscount Aleman. It seemed like the growl in Fernand's voice was coming from the depths of hell itself. All color had drained from the Viscount's face as he began quivering. But that doesn't matter now. Fernand one-sidedly continued the conversation. Though you may be here because of a misunderstanding, what matters is that you're here. This is nothing to worry about. Now, come here. One I'll introduce you to everyone as my wife-to-be. And then, hot. The nobles, Alan and Fabio, and Kairu herself all let out a cry of shock. W.H. What in the world do you think you're saying? Shook off Prince Fernand's hand as he tried dragging me up onto the stage. There's no way a commoner could do that. There's no problem if we just have you become the adopted daughter of some earl's household. You have the order of this all wrong. Fire off a rebuttal at the prince's words. I should have been adopted before you asked to marry me. Even then, you would have to make sure to not let anyone pry into my past or where came from, but no one's going to believe that after I've already announced to everyone that I'm just a commoner. Not only a commoner, but a waitress at that. Would just be made fun of behind my back, and none of the aristocrats from other countries would even think about talking with me. Prince Fernand sent another bitter glare at Viscount Aleman. And then, there's still the most important issue of all. Declared, pointing my finger at him. Did you actually check to see if, even wanted to marry you? His only response was a blank expression on his face. It was the type of face that said he never expected me to reject him once, knew he was a prince. The answer is no. Absolutely refuse. Mheo what? Being a princess is on my top three list of jobs I'd never ever want to do. You have no privacy, you can't get close to the people you want to, you have to fake a smile and talk to people you don't like, your children get taken from you by your wet nurse and you never get the chance to be a real family with them 
and you have to go to parties all the time with other nobles or royal families from other countries. That's not to mention that you're pushing out babies until you get a boy or a girl so you can marry her off for diplomatic relations later. Your husband will even go off and have children with other women like it's no big deal. Nothing about that life sounds fun to me. One of the queens who'd come over to see what the fuss was about just stiffened up. Ah, now she's crying. It's pretty much the same thing with counts and earls and all that. You're barely allowed to leave the house, and outside of the odd party, the only people you end up talking to are your servants. Even then, the difference in status is so big it's not like you're going to be friends with them. In fact, they would never dare speak their own opinion to you and would just follow your orders. Your husband would always be gone because of work, and you'd have your step-parents. Always breathing down your neck for a successor to their household. That's not to mention how they'll pester you have to follow the traditions of the family you married into, and tell you how you're a member of their family now so there's no need for you to go back home, and that their grandchildren only belong to them, and so on and so forth. Let's not forget how your husband can use the excuse that they need many, many children to cheat on you like there's no tomorrow, and you could end up stuck living in the same house as the woman he's cheating on you with and their children as well. Several other wives crumpled to the ground in tears. An older noble grabbed the man who looked to be the husband of one of the wives. Wondered if that was the wife's father. That's why a viscount or a baron would be nice. They're still nobles, but are a bit more far removed from the power struggles you would find elsewhere. You can also be a little closer to the help because of your position, like having tea together and chatting with them. You can even raise your own children along with the wet nurse or maids that are babysitting them. When your son gets a little bigger, you can travel around your territory with him, having the people celebrate your child on their birthday or things like that. It seems like you would have a much happier life sounding time with your family and the people living in your domain. The girls who had their eyes on some of the higher-ranking nobles looked around nervously. While it was true their parents wanted them to marry someone with a high status, the parents didn't want to make the daughters unhappy. At the same time, it was plain to see several upper-class nobles wincing. Probably the parents and step-parents of sons waiting to get married and carry on the family lineage. That's why the only way I'd want to marry into money is if, could find the rich son of a merchant, or even a lower-ranking noble would never want to be with someone who has a higher status, but at the cost of a boring or stressful life. I'll leave that to the actua slash daughters born into nobility, the ones who live lives of luxury because they've sucked the people dry with taxes or who are ready to give everything for their country in exchange for having a higher education. Silence fell over the party. Don't care about any of that. Fernand cried out. One want you, and your knowledge. With your beauty and wisdom, want you to help me develop this country even more. Together. Knowledge? Beauty and wisdom? Those are all just things you want to use for yourself, aren't they? So it's not that you actually love me, you just want to use me. Then what about me, huh? Do you not care about what, feel? Is that something you don't have to take into consideration, just because you're a prince? W.L., the words caught in the prince's throat, making him unable to answer me. Picked up a plate from a nearby table and slammed it against the table. A noise accompanied the shattering of the tableware, and stooped down to pick up one of the fragments of the broken plate, 
All eyes were on me as the guests wondered what in the world was doing. SHNG. Use the plate shard to slash open my right cheek. WHWH what are you doing? Blood dripped down from my face. The women let out screams, while Fernand was rendered speechless. The other nobles could only stand there, dumbfounded. There, now I'm nothing more than a foolish and unsightly girl. I'm worth nothing to a prince like you, just a commoner with nothing to offer. Now you should have no more business with me, right? After, finished saying my piece, no one even tried stopping me as, walked out of the party, the guests at the party began stirring once more, and the first words to break the silence were finally spoken. What rash remarks! What disrespect! What elegance, one of the counts present shouted over the voice seeking to condemn Keiru. She knew the prince marrying a commoner such as herself would only disrupt the political balance here, so not only did she give up on being queen, she even went so far as to sully her own beautiful visage. That's not to mention how she used all that coarse language to make herself look like the villain here, though she may just be a commoner, she chose the peace of the country over the fear of being punished. What loyalty! What devotion! It may have seemed like a stretch, but those gathered there had no choice but to accept it as fact to preserve the prince's dignity. No one would complain as long as it meant that commoner girl would be kept safe because of it. Besides, if Prince Fernand's reputation had dropped too low, that would bolster the people who were backing Prince Gislin, the second prince, instead. If the girl had gone so far as to injure herself to protect Fernand, then no one would be able to say anything in contempt to the prince for fear of turning her efforts to naught. This sudden declaration was quick thinking on the part of one of the earls backing Fernand, and the partygoers were caught up in the moment. There were voices of admiration coming from all over the venue, signaling that the earl's plan had gone off well. Fernand, my friend. What did you do? Alan looked down on Fernand with scorn as the prince knelt on the ground had just made the necessary arrangements with my father to look into her background so we could be ready to bring her here at any time, the disappointment in Fabio's voice was evident. Life actually might have been pretty fun if she ended up being your fiancé. Fernand lamented the foolishness of what he'd done when he heard Alan's words. But a broken plate was never going to be the same as it was before. Alan and, we'll go to the restaurant tomorrow, by ourselves to see her. Please don't come with us. I'll see if we can't get some money together for her, or maybe a way to get her another job, since I'd imagine she won't be able to work at the restaurant anymore. Fernand barely managed to whisper a please do in response. Ow, 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 ow. The moment, left the party, whipped up a painkiller and stipped a combo potion and drank it all at once. The pain from the gash on my cheek calmed down right away. All right, no one's following me. Time to make my escape from the capital. Headed straight for the city gates. People were looking at me in shock as, jogged through the streets at night, an 11 to 12-year-old girl wearing a first-class made outfit from the royal palace with her face smeared with blood who also had a Horace H. look in her eyes. Yeah, anyone would be a little surprised by that. Finally made it to the gates and called out to the guard there. Pardon me, but, need to leave. The gates leading out of the capital would close once nighttime fell, and would only be opened for the odd passerby coming in and out of the city. 
It was around this time a small girl called out, asking permission to leave. The kind-hearted guard took his lamp and left his station to see what all the fuss was about. Depending on what their story was, he planning on detaining them and convincing them not to leave. It was dangerous outside the city walls at night. What hap, whoa. The guard let out a shout once he saw Kairu's face smeared with blood. Got on the wrong side of some nobles and have to leave town right away. Though the gash on her cheek had stopped bleeding, it still left an awful scar. It may have healed cleanly if it was just a straight cut, but injuries like this, where the flesh was rent completely was bound to leave a scar. Though she was still young, this was a blemish that would affect her for the rest of her life. If she was running away from nobles who could lash out at her for any reason at any time, it might actually be safer outside the city walls. Wait, just a second. The guard had given up trying to detain Keiru, heading inside his barracks for a second before returning and handing something to her without a word. It was a leather pouch with water inside, something that looked like dinner, and five silver coins. Um, what's this? Take it with you. The guard quickly opened the small gate for her. Bowing her head to the guard, Keiru hurried through the open doors. After walking for a short while, she created a health potion and drank it down. The cut on Keiru's face healed completely before fading away. Oops, kept the maid outfit, got from the castle. Oh well. This may come in handy down the line. All she had to do to get rid of the bloodstains was make some type of cleansing potion. Her next stop was the capital of the kingdom of Balmor, Grua. Alright, let's get going. Several years later, a lone city guard was hurrying on his way home, looking also in the box was a familiar leather pouch and five silver coins. The man had been promoted from his job as gatekeeper to being a city guard, but he still remembered the young girl he had lent a helping hand all that time ago. The tears wouldn't stop flowing. Goddess Chapter 6, Laying Low It had been a few days since, began my trip to the neighboring country's capital. Luckily for me, happened to be getting a lift from another kind merchant. It was times like these where it was really useful that, look way younger than 15. Oh, hey, maybe I'd even be able to stretch out my time looking to get hitched at this rate. That gatekeeper guy was really nice though. To be honest, already had plenty of water and food in my item box, but it was so sweet of him to be worried about me that, just took it without saying anything. I'd have to make sure and thank him somehow when, got the chance, the merchant, was riding with said he happened to own a shop in the capital, but he'd occasionally leave and do business on his own to gather more information, as well as to not forget the basics of his trade. Yep, that was pretty much what every merchant should aspire to be. It seemed like the guy would leave his son in charge of the shop while he was gone, but that same son told him to stop going on these trips because of how dangerous it was for him. Was bored, so D moved up to sit next to the merchant to chat with him. He was a resident of Grua, the capital of Balmor, so definitely should get something useful out of talking to him. Grua was on my list of places, might want to settle down, so had to find out all, could about it. Oh ho, so that store sales actually dropped, you say? That's right. People weren't seeing the prices as half off on the weekdays, rather, the prices were double on days off. They called the normal prices a rip-off, since they figured that store was able to make a profit selling things at half-dash. Price anyway.
See, the merchant was pretty interested in my story about a certain fast food restaurant that went under in my past life, I guess that's what you'd call it, in Japan, so we worked out a deal where, would tell him more business horror stories from back home in lieu of paying for the ride. So even though the store was trying to get rid of their leftover food by offering huge discounts on it all right before closing, all their customers would just wait for the discounts without actually buying anything. Hmm. So it's just like, thought. Oh, has our merchant friend thought about giving discounts right before closing shop for the day? Then maybe I'll tell him about this next. See. So since they offered that sort of service, it made customers who they couldn't make a profit off of stay longer, while the regular customers had no place to sit and left. Goodness, the service business is hard to figure out. Alrighty, let's try talking about marketing next. Featured bargain items you use to draw customers in? Package deals? That's just an affront to the trade business itself. Well how about that, he's an honest-to-God businessman after all. Guess I'll tell him about some more ethical business techniques then. Customer loyalty, you say? And you narrow down the type of customer you want? But if you do that, then won't you end up losing a portion of your customers instead? Wait, don't aim for one out of a hundred, but for two out of ten? Tell me more about how that works. Why is he the one asking me for more information here? She's a pretty interesting gal. The Abelai Trade Company was said to be one of the most prominent enterprises you could find in the royal capital, and it also happened to be my company. I'd worked my way up from when, was just peddling wares out of my loan wagon, but found myself in a bit of a rut as of late. Began longing for the days where, had no money but enjoyed getting out there and selling things, so, left my store to my son and left on a bit of a trading journey. Was almost back to Grua when, happened to pick up a young girl along the way. She looked to be about 11 or 12 and was strolling with barely any luggage to be seen. She said she was on her way to the capital as well, but where could she have been walking from while carrying almost nothing on her? Judging by the way she walked, it would take her much longer to get where she was going compared to any normal person. She had such a delicate-looking body that it wouldn't even take a monster to finish her off. Maybe a single stray dog would be enough to spell the end for her had a daughter as well, so, couldn't just leave her be. There was space in the back of my wagon, but she seemed a bit bored, which was probably why she came and joined me up in the passenger seat. She asked me a whole slew of questions about the capital, and it sounded like she was looking for work there. The conversation eventually turned to the trading business, and she started telling stories about stores she knew or what she heard from other people. Was shocked, frankly. How did she know so much? No merchant worth their salt would tell some girl living out in the sticks these sorts of things so easily. She wasn't just repeating these stories without understanding what they meant either. She understood why these things happened, and was even adding her own opinions on the stories. Not only that, but she had some pretty sharp takes on them too. Hadn't really thought about discounting things until now. It cost money to get inventory for the store, and you... Prominent enterprises you could find in the royal capital, and it also happened to be my company. I'd worked my way up from when, was just peddling wares out of my loan wagon, but found myself in a bit of a rut as of late. Began longing for the days where, had no money but enjoyed getting out there and selling things, so, left my store to my son and left on a bit of a trading journey. Was almost back to Grua when, 
happened to pick up a young girl along the way. She looked to be about eleven or twelve and was strolling with barely any luggage to be seen. She said she was on her way to the capital as well, but where could she have been walking from while carrying almost nothing on her? Judging by the way she walked, it would take her much longer to get where she was going compared to any normal person. She had such a delicate-looking body that it wouldn't even take a monster to finish her off. Maybe a single stray dog would be enough to spell the end for her. Had a daughter as well, so couldn't just leave her be. There was space in the back of my wagon, but she seemed a bit bored, which was probably why she came and joined me up in the passenger seat. She asked me a whole slew of questions about the capital, and it sounded like she was looking for work there. The conversation eventually turned to the trading business, and she started telling stories about stores she knew or what she heard from other people. Was shocked, frankly. How did she know so much? No merchant worth their salt would tell some girl living out in the sticks these sorts of things so easily. She wasn't just repeating these stories without understanding what they meant either. She understood why these things happened, and was even adding her own opinions on the stories. Not only that, but she had some pretty sharp takes on them too. Hadn't really thought about discounting things until now. It cost money to get inventory for the store, and you had to find a way to make reasonable profits off it all. Despite that. You also had to consider the faith between the maker, vendor, and buyer as well. You couldn't sell your products at too high or low a price. You had to find an appropriate cost for it. Any merchant should want to avoid doing anything to disrupt the flow of the marketplace. But what this girl told me about pricing and discounts had really captured my interest. There were things that reaffirmed my convictions for the trade business, and she also offered some very appealing ideas as well. She kept saying she'd only heard these stories from someone else, but it was obvious there was some other reason behind why she knew all this. This was a girl could look forward to seeing what the future had in store for her. If she's looking for a job, then she should have no qualms about coming to work for me. I'm sure she'd happily accept as soon as she hears the name of my company. All right, that's what I'll do. The wagon arrived at the gates to the capital. It would only be a few minutes until the two reached the end of the line to get inside. If you want, how about coming to work for me, Kairu? The job comes with a place to stay as well, so you don't have to worry about finding living arrangements. The girl thought it over for a second before smiling and giving her answer. Thank you, but it's all right. I'll look for work on my own. Huh? Oh, right. Haven't said the name of my company yet. May have been out on a trip for my own fun, but I'm actually the owner of the Abalai Trade Company. That's right. I'm the Johan Abalai, head of Abalai Trade. He declared confidently, a big grin on his face. Well, surprised. One C. Oh, have to register as a newcomer. So, guess this is where we part ways. Thank you very much for letting me ride with you. Enjoyed talking with you as well. Until we meet again. The girl hopped down from the wagon before walking away. Johann Abelai, the head of the Abelai Trade Company, could only watch in blank amazement as she did so. Um, the Abelai Trade Company is said to be one of the most prominent enterprises in the capital. And is even famous in other countries, with tons of people who would love to work there. It's the one place anyone from the countryside would love to get in with. You know that Abelai Trade Company. 
Johann's voice gradually became weaker and weaker, before petering off entirely. That merchant seemed like a pretty nice guy with a large shop, but working at a place like that means I'd have to start from the bottom. I'd probably just be loaded with a whole bunch of busy work as a newbie there. Pretty sure I'd have tons of co-workers and people working above me, so there's a good chance, wouldn't even get any time to myself. Seems doubtful I'd have any days off either. Don't want to keep doing menial labor my whole life here. Need to be out there gathering information and getting things in order so. Can open my own shop someday, so, want to find a job that lets me be a little more flexible with my free time. Once I've done enough prep work, need to start making a name for myself, and all sorts of other stuff to get my shop ready too. No matter how big and famous the shop may have been, if it didn't match up with Kaira's goals, then there was nothing else to be said on the matter. I'd made my way to the job hunting agency in Grua. Hmm, wonder if there are any good ones here, pondered to myself as browsed through the available jobs. A good while had passed since, began looking at the postings. I'd already gone to the receptionist to apply for. Two of them that would have been perfect, but she turned me down because she thought, was a minor, they weren't even anything fishy either. There was a man doing office work here who saw me get rejected and called out to the receptionist. Hey, Aria, how about recommending her that one job at Bardo's place? Oh, that one? Let's see. The receptionist looks me over for a few seconds before calling out to me. How are you with housework, miss? Cooking, cleaning, those sorts of things. Mom and Dad both had full-time jobs, so I'd been doing chores and taking care of the house since, was in middle school. Just leave it to me. My mother was always working, so I'm great at housework and taking care of kids. Great, then this might work out after all. Have a housekeeping job that comes with a place to stay as well. What do you say? According to the receptionist, there was a small workshop that had put out a help-wanted ad for someone to basically come and work as a maid for them. Including the owner, there were five of them working their total, and it was supposed to be a bit of a quirky workshop. They weren't bad people by any means, but none of the help they took on seemed to stick around for long. They would often come back to repost their ad, and the amount they paid in fees to the agency was nothing to sneeze at. For the job itself, they needed someone who could cook, clean, do laundry, and other odd jobs for the workshop. Everyone besides the owner himself commuted there, but they would all eat at the workshop together, probably because it was too much trouble for them to go all the way home to make food themselves. It wasn't supposed to be a job that kept you busy around, the clock, and it sounded like, was free to do whatever, wanted so long as finished the work they asked me to do could go out and about during the day if, was done cooking, for example. They even gave days off too. It seemed like the workers would go out to eat on those days, or make do with what they had on hand. It sounded like they'd gone through a few periods of not having anyone to help out, so, guess they learned to do at least that much. But wait, seriously? This T.S., like, the perfect job for me. A pleasure to meet you. My name is Keiru was referred here from the job hunting agency. Nice to meet Cha. There's no need to be so stiff at our place, so feel free to relax and be yourself, the man said with a smile. He was Bardot, the current head of the mailer workshop, and was incredibly happy to hear how lax he was with the formalities. 
Let's call these next few days a trial period, if you don't mind. All those fees to the agency keep building up since our new hires always quit right away, and they've even started letting us get extensions for paying them now, Bardot said with a bitter grin. Now, let's get you introduced to everyone. If I'm being honest, just let me know anytime you think it's not gonna work out. I'm already used to it by now, so it won't bother me at all. All right, understand. Man, just how low T.S. is self-esteem now. With that, he led me to the main workshop, which looked more like some sort of laboratory if you asked me. Then, the moment he opened the door. You. It reeks in here. It smelled like sweat, B.O., chemicals, and like something was rotting. Seriously, did something die in here? Next, saw four men, two of them currently sprawled out on the floor. One of them was middle-aged, two were young. Men, and one was just a boy. Well, say boy, but, guess he'd be considered an adult, here. Carlos, Albin, wake up. We've got a new potential helper who, need to introduce. The two of them jumped up at Bardo's words. Thank the goddess. Hold it, this is just a trial run, got that? Atria, slash run. Bardo fired back, emphasizing the last part. Beginning with the oldest, there was Carlos at 32 years old, Akil at 21, Albin at 19, and Brian at 16. Everyone here was doing their best to become a first-rate engineer, apparently. According to what Bardo had told me, this wasn't just a workshop that made things to sell to cover living expenses. It was something more akin to a research and development lab for new gadgets and products. They weren't getting any financial support for their work though, so they'd also make goods they could sell to cover their research costs and make enough money for their everyday lives. They were all skilled at what they did, so the quality of their products was actually pretty good. The only problem was that they were a group of inventors who only cared about research, not profits, and weren't suited to be merchants. As such, they basically had no money. And since they were a group of inventors, the concept of working hours didn't exist to them. They could get so wrapped up in their research they wouldn't bathe or change clothes for days, would forgot to eat and eventually collapse from hunger, and would even spend days on end in the lab. They never ran out of things to say when it came to their research, but were clueless on what was going on in the world. Ah, get it. I'm basically here to babysit the five of them. Finally had an idea what my job really entailed. After the introductions were finished, we moved right into Q&A time. A flurry of questions came from the guys, one after the other. Can you cook and clean and stuff? I'm probably as good at cleaning as the next person, but I'm pretty confident in my cooking skills. Always cooked for my family, and the restaurant, worked at before this even decided to serve some of the dishes I'd made. The expectations in their eyes were at all-time highs. So when you're cleaning, there are a few things we want you to be aware of. Oh, like how like everything looks messy, but you actually have it like that on purpose and know where everything is. Or that even things that look like scraps of paper actually have something really important written on them, so you don't want me to throw them away? Or like how there's plenty of dangerous chemicals here, so, shouldn't try to smell, touch, mix, or toss them? E-N-N-A-O-A. Um... Have you ever worked in a place like this before? No, not really. Erm, um, well. 
We lose track of time a lot when we get into our work, and sometimes we just forget to eat. Aren't all boys like that? The four of them turned to look at Bardot, their eyes brimming with hope. Even Bardot looked somewhat cheerful about the whole thing. It was like they were all thinking, might be the one to actually stay. Yup, already know plenty about how to handle boys, thanks to living with my dad and big brother. Several days later, was officially hired for the job, and the workshop had paid the job hunting agency the fee for my referral. Was knocking the cooking thing out of the park, if, did say so myself. Got better at recognizing the right time when everyone was about to reach a good stopping point in their work, or finding ways to get them fed even if they all come. At different times. Eventually, innovated, cough cut corners cough, and began making simple dishes like sandwiches and on a gyri they could eat while working on things in the lab, which made my job so much easier. Put my newfound free time to good use, doing things like walking around town and going to the library. Going to the library was expensive in this country as well, so, didn't really go that often though. And thanks to the Kairu special deodorizer, I told them, made from fruit juice and tea and a bunch of other stuff. The horrible death stench in the workspace became something actually tolerable. Because of all that, I'd secured myself a place as an invaluable asset here in the workshop. Oh? Are you making something, Akil? One day, I'd spotted Akil working on something to sell to make profits instead of his usual research, so, called out to him. Yeah, it's a flask. Kinda like a canteen or something you can put alcohol or other strong spirits in. I'm supposed to make it lightweight and sturdy, and with something that won't affect the taste of what you put in it. We should be able to sell the extra high-quality ones to aristocrats for a good price. That said, it's a whole other story, trying to make ones from metal with fancy decorations and stuff on them. What I'm working on here should be fine for normal, everyday use. Surprisingly enough, Akil was the was the only member of the workshop who was actually a noble. That said, he was only the third son of a viscount. He still had another older brother should something happen to the oldest one, so there was an extremely low chance he'd succeed his father and take over the household. Because of that, and due to Achilles' decidedly unaristocratic love of research and experimentation, his father allowed him to do whatever he pleased. That wasn't to say he was being abandoned or ignored though, but his father was allowing Akil the free will to do whatever he wanted with his future. He got along well with his brothers, and loved his family as well. A container, huh? Maybe it's about time for me to make a move. Oh, that's right. Happen to know someone who does glasswork. They've never tried selling it because they do it for fun, but they've always said they wanted to try selling something at least once. You think we could try leaving one of the containers they made on the workshop store shelf? The store shelf was where we'd leave our products for customers to see for themselves, or to display our workshop's prowess for creating new goods. All the products on display had a price tag to go with them, so everything was indeed for sale as well. Since the workshop usually only made things to order, there was still plenty of space on the shelf. Hmm, think it'd be alright, but you should probably ask Bardot if it's okay. All right, got it. I'll go try asking him then. And just like that, got permission to go ahead with my plan. This was a request from the girl who always worked hard, made delicious food, and, above all else, actually stayed. Anyone at the workshop seemed happy to grant almost any request, had for them. It's...
Bardot and the others were at a loss for words when they saw the glass container I'd made. It's so beautiful. The design and the craftsmanship goes without saying, but just look at how clear that glass is. Look at how it sparkles. Just what slash s this? The workshop members were in shock over the glass container that my friend had made. It was a perfume, bottle made of sparkling crystal glass that boasted an asymmetrical design and ended with an extravagantly large stopper at the top. The stopper itself was made to look like a winged goddess sitting on the lip of the bottle, and it was hard to tell if the bottle or the lid should be the main focus. No, scratch that, the stopper was definitely the main attraction here. Crystal glass is created by adding lead oxide to the raw materials, making it much more translucent and sparkly than your average glass. It's a bit of a misnomer to call glass crystal when it lacks a crystal in structure, but we'll let that slide since it's just the commercial name for the glass itself. Anyway, it sells for a much higher price than your average glass back on Earth, and it hasn't actually been used in this world yet. Normally it's better to cut crystal glass instead of stretch it, since that's the best way to bring out the natural sparkle it contains. It's a fairly common practice not to do too much extra work to it to preserve that sparkle, but this container was different. There was a plethora of finer details worked into the glass, with almost every inch of it having been cut in some way. Keiru. Do you think we could meet the person who made this? Oh, the family of the girl who made this is pretty strict actually. It seems like she made this in secret in between doing work around the house. That's not to mention she doesn't do too well around guys. SH she did it, in her spare time. Ah, they're more bummed out about that instead of not being able to meet my fake friend. Um, can ask her to make more for us. Oh, they recovered fast. In the end, we called off putting the bottle on the store shelf. We'd already seen the reaction it caused here in the workshop and it'd be a problem if people thought all our products were made with this much detail and quality. That was why I decided to find a noble who may be interested in purchasing it, and had them buy it directly from me instead. The results, I'd sold it, for a whopping three gold coins, paid six small gold coins to the workshop as a handling fee, which was about the price of a month's worth of groceries to cook for everyone here, not including the price of the firewood, needed as well. Not only did, had the power to create any medicine with the exact effect, wanted it to have, could create any container, wanted it to be in too. Even if, can't sell potions, or use my modern day knowledge, can still make money. And so, my peaceful days, helping out at the workshop continued. Had plenty of money, thanks to the crystal glass I'd sell every once in a while, and, could go to the library anytime, wanted now. My item box was packed full of supplies so, could tackle any unforeseen circumstances that came my way. Had plenty of food, spare clothes, a knife, some flint, and even a warm blanket, to name a few. Was hoping nothing would happen, since wasn't planning on running away from anything right now. This was all just in case though. I'd finally gotten to the point, could say, knew, as much as the average person living here. So all that was left now was to find someone who had my back and to carve out a place for myself in the world. It wasn't like, hated how, was living right now, but, wasn't planning on being a housekeeper my entire life here you know? I'd been reincarnated in a whole different world with cheap powers, so, wanted to have a bit more freedom with how, lived my life. The one and only goddess of this place had even told me it was alright to influence the world if wanted to, 
first, would play it safe and make a plan for myself, then it probably wouldn't be a bad idea to be proactive and get me some self-protection. It'd be nice if, could help people out with my potions somehow as well. Guess there was no rush though. For now, I'd just wait for my chance to come. One day when Kaira was cleaning the entrance to the workshop, a street urchin happened to pass her by. When they were gone, they left a balled-up piece of paper in their wake. She stooped down to pick it up before sticking it in her pocket. She was cleaning after all, so it was only natural for her to pick up trash. What wasn't natural, however, was what had just gone down. No simple street urchin should have something as valuable as paper, and they certainly wouldn't just toss it away as garbage. Kaira went to the kitchen before taking out the scrap of paper and reading what was written on it. A mother and a kid in the slums. She's honest, she gives everything to Ray's daughter. Nobles hurt her really bad, lashed out at her. The note was written in an untidy scrawl, by the only one of the vagabond children who could actually write. Kairu suddenly had plans for the evening, after, finished cleaning up after making dinner at the workshop, made some late-night snacks for later and left them on the shelf before changing into some comfier clothes. Everyone was so focused on their work, they didn't notice me quietly sneak outside. Even if they had, was sure they'd let me off saying it was only a kid enjoying some nighttime fun. After walking a bit, saw a kid who looked to be a street urchin in front of me. Kept a good distance between us as, followed behind them. Eventually, found myself with several other ragged-looking kids following behind me. They kept their distance from me as well, keeping a wary eye on their surroundings. We walked along like this as we headed into the poor district of the city, coming to a small shack of a house. The boy, was following stopped and gave me a signal, then went off to hide. So this is the place, drank a potion to change the color of my eyes and hair, then put on a mask to hide my face before donning a cloak and entering the shack. Who is it? A little girl, who couldn't be more than five or six was on full alert as she warily responded to me breaking and entering. The tone in her voice showed she was prepared to protect her mother, at any cost, who was bedridden from injuries. A person had just essentially broken into their house wearing a mask and a cloak. Yeah, even, couldn't think anyone else looked more suspicious than, did right now. Just a messenger, answered the little girl in a gentle voice. A messenger? From who, the girl asked back, not letting down her guard. Seals. Seals? Who's that? Oh, right. Maybe calling her Celestine might make it easier to understand? N. There was no blasphemer in this world who'd named their kid after the goddess, and there wasn't anyone who would do evil in her name either. She wasn't just an imaginary concept in this world, but had actually made appearances here up until a few decades ago. She was a real god who'd come down and save people, and hand down divine revelations. Want to give your mom some medicine? Would that be okay with you? Yes, please. The mother was lying on the floor, staying so still, couldn't tell if she was sleeping or had lost consciousness. She looked to be in her late twenties, but, bet a native would say she looked about twenty-two or twenty-three. That was about the same age. Was when, bit the big one back on earth, and that was just when I'd gotten a job after graduating college. Here she was, working so hard to raise her kid, and got beaten half to death just because an aristocrat was having a bad day? Screw that. 
Like hell, I'll just let that slide. The righteous shall be healed by my hands. Raised my right arm into the air and summoned forth a potion in the shape of a mayonnaise squeeze bottle, filled with a red potion. Had the little girl lift the upper half of the mother's body while, held open her mouth with my left hand, putting the tip of the bottle inside and gently wringing out its contents. The red liquid poured down her throat as the small girl gulped and watched me as. Worked. 1-1000-2-1000-3-1000-4-1000-5-1000-6-1000-7-1000-8-1000-M, M-M-G-H, M-Mommy. Co, Sha. Mommy. Right around the time Kosha stopped crying, the mother turned to look at me with a curious look on her face. You, um, who might you be? Oh, I'm just a simple pharmacist. I'll be taking my leave now that we're all finished here. As for my fee. Backslash not. Kosha and her mother both turned pale. Already knew they didn't have money, but cash wasn't the only payment method, took all right. Then you can pay me by letting me poke and squish Kosha's cheeks until I'm satisfied. Een? All done. Thanks for leaving me here. Then we'll all be your escort on the way back to the workshop. Right, I'm counting on you. Though he said that, Emil didn't budge an inch as he stared right at my face. Something the matter? Can ask you something? Sure what's up? Why does your face look so smooth? It's a secret. It had all happened a few weeks back. Kaira was out in the marketplace doing some shopping when a street urchin had collided with her. She watched as the boy ran off without stopping before sticking her hand into her breast pocket. Yup, it's gone all right. It should go without saying, but she'd just been hit by a pickpocket. Though she looked like a child herself, Kaira would go out into the town market every day to buy groceries. Anyone seeing the armfuls of food she'd bring with her on the way back could guess she had a decent amount of cash on her. Since she was only a little girl, there was no need to worry about getting caught and taken away even if someone flubbed an attempt to steal from her. She was the perfect prey for street urchins and pickpockets. It was times like these when the item box came in handy. She kept her real purse stored safely away in there while having a fake tucked away in her breast pocket. As for what was inside it, well, Kaira leisurely strolled in the direction the boy had run off in. Getting pickpocket meant the perpetrator would take the cash out of the wallet once they were safe, then ditch the wallet itself. Even if there were people who wrote their name on it beforehand, no one would ever write it on their money, there wouldn't be any evidence left of the crime. That was why Kaira had set up her fake wallet with something that happened almost instantly. Agakai. There it is. Kaoru followed the scream, finding herself face to face, with a young boy clutching his right hand in agony. It was the same street urchin who'd bumped into her earlier. The boy's right hand had swollen, taking on a ghastly shade of purple. It looked like the pain was as bad as it looked, which is what she expected, since she'd made the potion to do just that. Tears welled up in the boy's eyes as soon as he saw Kaoru, pleading with her to help him. Oh, fine. Kaira took a potion from her pocket and handed it to the boy, telling him to drink it. His hand shook as he downed the medicine, and the pain and swelling from his right hand were fixed almost immediately. She'd actually made it so the symptoms of her trap would disappear on their own after a few hours had passed, 
just in case the culprit managed to elude her. They'd have to suffer through the pain until that happened though. Even if someone stole from her, it wasn't like she wanted to cause them any real harm. At most, Kaira wanted to traumatize them a little with the experience. Stealing from a god, are we? You must not care much for your life, boy. Huh? Gee god, you won't be getting off with just this when, bring down my next divine punishment, Kaira said with grin on her face. Ayah! The boy threw himself to the ground and prostrated before the girl as she placed her hands on her hips, triumphantly. It was a very strange scene, the fiendish look in Kaira's eyes just making it seem all the more suspicious. If she just stepped on the boy's head now, then, wait, why did it turn out like this? I'd ask you what you're doing stealing, but, think, already know the answer. It has to be, so he can get himself something to eat. Actually, Bell hasn't been doing so good. Oh, someone's sick. That changes things. Lead me there. Aita. The boy had no choice but to comply, leading me to a rundown house in the slums with crumbling walls and a dilapidated roof. Living inside this ramshackle home was an assortment of seven boys and girls. Guessed they wouldn't really be street urchins if they actually had a place to live, huh? When asked who was sick here, they all raised their hands. Got it, so that's how it is. Everyone, line up. All the kids looked especially confused when said that, so, had the boy who tried to pickpocket me earlier lined them up for me, since he seemed to be the oldest one of the group. Being 11 or 12 may be considered young here, but since, looked like around 15 or 16 tops, there shouldn't have been any problems with me putting him to work. All right, everyone come take turns getting one. Handed out an assortment of potions to cure various injuries and diseases. All right, and here's another one. Next, whipped up a potion to restore their deteriorated muscles and organs, and even improved their health as well. It looked like they were all suffering from a variety of different afflictions, and thought it may be a bit overboard trying to squeeze too many effects into one potion, which was why I'd split them up into two instead. Huh. My leg doesn't hurt? Feels so light now. My chest doesn't hurt anymore. The children let out cries of surprise one after the other. Hmm. What to do, what to do? At this rate, they'd just end up right back where they started. This was only a way to stave off the inevitable. But would some girl working as a housekeeper be able to look after all these kids? Should have just ignored them in the first place since it had nothing to do with me? Thought not. Wouldn't have come here in the first place if was going to do that. I'd already said it myself, and, quote, I wanted to have a bit more freedom with how, lived my life. Would play it safe and make a plan for myself, then it probably wouldn't be a bad idea to be proactive and get me some self-protection. It'd be nice if, could help people out with my potions somehow as well. It was about time to do just that. Kaira Nagase was the type of girl who avoided danger and always chose the safe way in life. Though, did end up dead in some freak accident. So did that mean, was just going to repeat that same lifestyle again here? Was, just going to live life protecting my close friends and family, even after I'd gotten these powers from the goddess? Should not get involved with other people? That would be way too boring. The old Keiru Nagase was dead, was a brand new Keiru, given a fresh start in life here. 
wasn't the same Keiru Nagase from Japan, but just Keiru, a girl free to live her life the way she wanted in this world, and with permission from the goddess who watched over this world even. Listen up, kids. Declared, placing both hands on my hips and sticking my chest out. I'm Keiru, a friend of the goddess Celestine. She has given me free reign to do as, see fit and enjoy life in this world as a normal human. Nothing, said was a lie so far, but the kids didn't really seem to get what, was talking about. Basically, she told me, can do whatever want. Nod, nod. That's why, want to offer some blessings to those who are pure of heart, just like, did with you all. The children finally came to realize, tears in their eyes, that it was a miracle all their ailments had been cured. Even though their fellow humans had abandoned them and treated them like nothing more than garbage, they'd received the blessing of the goddess. However, trying to find those deserving of these blessings without being discovered by ones who'd want to take advantage of them is quite the task, considering I've taken on the form of a human myself. That's where you all come in. How about becoming my assistants, to help me out? As a reward, I'll keep you healthy while bestowing you with all sorts of food. The seven children all threw themselves down at my feet, and that was how, gained seven new members of my own personal defense force. After, Keiru had made sure to tell the children to keep this a secret. If someone appeared who wished to use the powers of the goddess for less than wholesome motives, then divine punishment would befall the world, and Keiru would have to return to the heavens. Even if the kids tried to sell her out for money, a truly evil person wouldn't just pay for the information, they'd kill the children so they'd be the only ones who knew. Though Keiru would cure them and give the children enough food to get by, she claimed that just providing them with everything wouldn't make them successful people. She made sure to let them know they'd have to work to earn anything else than that for themselves. The children had no reason to doubt her words, especially after having experienced her miracles with their own bodies. They turned away from crime, looking for work running errands or other odd jobs to improve their quality of life. On top of that, they went around searching for rumors about pure-hearted souls suffering from injury or sickness, and served as the personal bodyguards to the goddess who'd come to the world as a human. Keiru had prepared herself a cloak and mask to hide her true identity. Though she was under the impression it looked pretty cool, it was a little much. Like, enough to make a child cry if they ran into her in the middle of the night. That was how Keiru began working her miracles in secret. She used the information the children brought her to help those who needed it, one person at a time. There was a rumor slowly spreading among certain people who lived in the capital. Those who were righteous and pure of heart would receive the blessings of the goddess. You could never let anyone whose hearts were tainted by greed know of her existence, and you mustn't betray the goddess. The eyes of the goddess saw everything. Back at the headquarters for the secret organization, the eyes of the goddess. In reality, it was just a busted-up house, the same one the seven kids were living in. You think we can we stop with such a name? Nevert, they turned me down, even though, was supposed to be the goddess here. Today, was extra lazy, er, ahem, very efficient, preparing meals for the workshop, so, thought I'd stretch my legs and head over to the slums, to make dinner for the kids. They were always cooking for themselves using a pot that had definitely seen better days, and the food they made was, shouldn't sugarcoat it, it wasn't good. That's why, thought it was nice to do this every once in a while. 
After dinner had wrapped up, they gave me their report. I'd already told the children how, was enjoying my life here, and they could just speak with me normally as long as they kept my secret. Basically, they could just think of me as a nice girl who would cook for them every so often. So that merchant's daughter is sick then. But they must be pretty rich, right? There are some things you can't fix with money. Besides, they're a really good person, insisted Emil, the leader of the ragtag group of kids, the one who'd tried pickpocketing me. Anyway, he made a good point. This guy is always down here in the poor district offering food for everyone, but he always says the same thing, I'm nothing but a hypocrite, only enjoy the self-satisfaction, get from this sort of charity work. Could get used to this feeling of superiority, oof. Mean, uh. They sound like a good person. Think? It was the dark of the night when I'd knocked on the back door of a certain merchant's house. Who is it? A woman's voice answered in response. A thief, put him up. No, but seriously, it's the pharmacist. Ah. Please, come inside. It'd be impossible for an amateur like me to try sneaking my way into a big-name merchant's house, so made sure they knew, was coming. That said, all did was give some. Spare change to some random kid to deliver a letter to them beforehand. There was pretty much nothing more suspicious than that. But the doting parents of their sick daughter were grasping at straws looking for solutions, and was supposed to be coming alone. Even if they were on high alert and had a guard or someone here, figured they'd at least let me inside. If they knew their visitor was a child, thought that'd make them a little less on guard, or it could have made them even more suspicious. Had a backup plan in case they tried to catch me of course, I'd already made an extra strong batch of tear gas, which would cause a good deal of confusion and chaos to take over me. Since they didn't have any way of knowing what it was, they'd probably think a demon had suddenly appeared to wreak havoc or something. I'd drink something to neutralize the effects of the gas, then change my clothes and the colors of my eyes and hair once, managed to get away. We heard you would be coming. Right this way, if you please. The elderly servant who opened the door acted as my guide, leading me through the back garden and into the mansion before showing me inside a room. She didn't even bat an eye at the sight of a little girl wearing a sketchy mask. She was a pro, no doubt about it, guessed, should have expected that from someone who worked for a big-name business. The daughter in question was lying down in bed inside the room, her parents and brother sitting beside her in chairs. There were no guards to be seen. The jaws of the people inside dropped when they saw me enter the room. They were expecting the messenger of the goddess to be coming here, and they got a little girl wearing a weird mask instead. But could you really blame them for being a bit surprised? Wait, are you who, think you are? Blurted out in surprise when saw who was already sitting in the room. The person in front of me was the same guy who'd given me a lift all the way to the capital. Huh? Are you, Keiru? Even after I'd gone out of my way to wear a mask and change the color of my eyes and hair, the merchant figured out who, was in an instant once he heard my voice. Backslash not, are you doing here? We said in sync. W-H-Y are you here, Keiru? The merchant asked, eyes wide open. Well, you know, was just thinking of healing your daughter's illness is all. Wait. D does that mean you're the messenger of the goddess then? This was a guy who really understood the value of information. He'd already heard rumors of me, 
even though they shouldn't have spread this far yet. Yeah, something like that. The merchant was at a loss for words, while his wife and son could only stare blankly. Oh, whatever. I'm taking off the dumb mask. Wait, how come the lady who showed me inside just flinched when she saw my face? She looked like she couldn't have cared less when she saw me all incognito with my mask and cloak. Is it my eyes? Is the look I always have in my eyes really that bad? Well, I'm used to it by now, so it doesn't bother me that much. Yeah. Have her drink this. The merchant took the small bottle, offered him with trembling hands. Taking every care in the world not to spill it, he placed the bottle to his daughter's lips and had her drink what was inside. The pained expression on her face softened with each passing second, and the color returned to her cheeks. Her breathing calmed and soon steadied itself. At a stable rhythm. On. The merchant, his wife, his son, and their servant all let out voices of admiration. Everyone here could see that the daughter had made a complete recovery. But why would the goddess give her blessing to us, the merchant asked me, his voice shaking. Well, you really helped me out back then. That, and, know all about how you feed people down in the poorer areas of town. He'd been giving blessings in his own way to the downtrodden and unfortunate till now, but even the rich and those in power needed help sometimes. Some of them were even good people too. Was wary of those with power since, could only imagine them trying to use me for their less than wholesome motives. Still, do need to make myself some friends in high places if, wanted to have someone who had my back here. Thinking as much, it might be about time to go about looking for someone just like that. Ah. And, the merchant, Johann Abelai, had broken down in tears. Everything he'd done until now had come back to him as a way to save his daughter. Even though there were times he'd talked against the goddess, she'd still understood all the same. His faith and conviction had saved his daughter. Thank you for everything, dear angel. Oh, no, please. You can just call me Keiru, like you did before. But. Ah, see. Yes, suppose that would be for the best. That's a smart businessman for you. He caught on quick. So, what shall we do about the offering? It was true, was accepting offerings from everyone I'd healed so far. Though, it wasn't like, wanted to take money from people who didn't have much to begin with just their gratitude. It could be anything from a single radish they had in their kitchen, to a wooden good luck charm that their kid had made. One mother and child really didn't have anything to their name, so, ended up patting and rubbing up against the little girl in question as payment, calling it healing for the soul. Ended up leaving them about twenty silver coins at the end of that particular trip. This was also a form of preparation on my part for if, ever ended up doing as such for a noble or some other wealthy person. I'd been doing this free of charge all this time, and it'd be pretty lame on my part to suddenly ask for a mound of cash for my services. That was why, decided to have people give me whatever they could that was within their means. Hmm, what should we do? Oh, no. This may have been really good timing actually. There was something he could get me that, thought I'd be needing soon enough. Do you think, could get some new clothes? More specifically, I'd like an outfit, could wear to fit in with other nobles. My old hand-me-downs I'd taken from the baron's daughter were beginning to get a little worse for the wear, I'd say. Haha. 
I'll devote the efforts of the entire Johann Abelai Trade Company into doing it. No, no, you don't have to go that far. Ended up having my measurements taken by the servant after being moved to another room. I'm counting on you, a Mary. Yes, sir. Even if it costs my life. Come on, guys, just said you don't have to go that far. Afterward, the merchant went back to the way he talked with me back when he'd given me a ride on his cart, thank goodness. Slash guess, should get to remembering his name, huh? Let's see. Johan, think it was. Chapter 7, An Angel. It had been two weeks since, visited Johan. Akil had been acting weird ever since this morning, stealing glances at me, before quickly looking away and breathing heavy sighs. Hold up. Has he finally fallen for my womanly charms? And no, that wasn't just me overthinking things. In fact, how couldn't, think that, you'd have to be blind, not to notice how suspicious he was acting. Everyone at the workshop, kept praising my cooking, and, understood why they lived the messy lifestyles they did was interested in what they were researching so I'd often glance over their shoulders while they worked, and sometimes even asked questions. Didn't try and scold or be hard on them like other girls would probably do. Was probably the ideal wife for broke researchers like them, as long as they could get past the fact that was flat as a board and the look in my eyes could make children cry inside, even if they thought, looked to be around twelve, it would only take around three more years until, came into my own as a woman. Didn't expect I'd even get a centimeter taller than was now, but was at least counting on my chest to fill out a tiny bit more. Until then, I'd just keep helping out with whatever they needed as their fiancé. That said, my physical body was 15 years old. Thought it may be a little too early to actually start looking for a spouse now. Wanted to travel around this world and enjoy seeing what it had to offer. Marriage could come after that. Though Akil was an aristocrat, there was almost no chance he was going to be inheriting any sort of title. People like him would usually aim to be a knight or a diplomat or something, but not Akil. Really had thought he was a good guy, but just didn't know if he was husband material. When thought about spending the rest of my life with him, it was like, well, it didn't sound bad carving out our own happy niche in the world, setting up our own little workshop and having a bunch of kids but there was still so much, wanted to do. Hey, Keiru. You got a second? Why wise? It's happening. There's actually something, wanted to ask you. Yes, too. Akil paused, thinking over his next words. Keiru. Would you, um, would you be my fiancé? Knew it. Behind us, Albin and Brian dropped the tools they were holding. Wait, you guys too? A.M., finally at that point in my life where I'm popular with all the boys? F for, just a day. Oh, a freaking course. And so, asked for an explanation, and an apology. Of course, was going to have him apologize on getting my hopes up, then crushing them all in one fell swoop. It wasn't like, was expecting anything to happen though. Was totally planning on turning him down was just a bit disappointed, that was all, according to what Akil had to say, in ten days there was going to be a birthday party for Cedric, who was the oldest brother, and also the successor to the family name. However, this wasn't just a party, but a chance for Cedric to find a potential spouse as well. 
He apparently had himself a fiancé ever since he was a child, but she'd passed away due to illness two years ago. He'd finally managed to get over that sadness and was ready to start looking again. Thanks to the sudden boom in girls trying to marry lower-class aristocrats that was sweeping the neighboring country, this party was supposed to be packed full of the daughters of aristocrats, affluent merchants, and even the third and fourth daughters from the families of earls and marquis. Why is that even a trend in the first place though? Anyway, Achilles' dad was thinking this might be Achilles' lucky break to find a third daughter of some baron to get engaged to, or maybe even the daughter of a merchant, which was why his father was being pretty strict about making sure he came to the party. The second oldest son had already found a fiancé too. Achil wouldn't look half bad if he cleaned up and wore some fancier clothes after all, and that wasn't mentioning the huge implications it would have for any merchant's daughter coming from a commoner background being able to marry into aristocracy through him. His parents had let him do what he wanted till now, but it seemed like they were beginning to get worried, hence the fact that he couldn't go against them and turn down showing up for the party. Akil was still having a blast with his research, according to the man himself, and wasn't even thinking of marriage yet. He knew he wouldn't be able to keep up his current research if he suddenly tied the knot with someone, which was where, came in, apparently. You only have to pretend to be my fiancé at the party, please. That way, can get past this somehow. You kidding me? I'm just a commoner though. And I'm not much different, being the third son of a lower-class aristocrat. My parents wouldn't have anything to complain about if, brought you, Keiru. P.S.S.S.H. Please, I'm begging you. Won't complain, even if this all goes horribly wrong, just think of it as helping a guy out. He kept on begging and eventually, gave in. Did turn down his offer to get me a dress though, and told him, had an idea of where, could find one. Akil seemed a bit doubtful, but was convinced after swore, to the goddess herself, that, wouldn't stand him up. Also made sure to add a condition of my own, wanted him to treat me as a girl he was trying to get close with, rather than his actual fiancé. If word spread that, was engaged to someone, it could affect me down the line when actually began looking into snagging someone to marry myself. Didn't want to be known as the girl who broke off an engagement because of something like this. That was super important to me so there was no way I'd back down on that. Akil looked a little bummed out when, said as such, but said he understood. All that was left now was for him to have his family get my invitation ready. This just may have been that chance I'd been waiting for. All right, I'm gonna get out there and make my move, asked Akil to give me the rundown on pretty much everything, could think of, the party we were going to, the Lyadard household, which was the family he belonged to, his brother Cedric his servants, any encounters he'd had with Viscounts, the whole shebang. The first ingredient to any good strategy was information after all. Hi there. Is Johan here? The employee was thoroughly taken aback when Keiru asked for the owner of the company by name. Do you think you could tell him that Keiru is here to see him? For some reason, the worker felt like they shouldn't go against the young girl's words and went to the back to fetch the owner. If he said to turn her away, then they would just turn her away, and that would be that. Still, something inside them was saying they shouldn't make that decision themselves, and a merchant should always respect their intuitions. Glad to have you here, Keiru. Come on back. Fancy some tea and snacks? 
good, he's still talking normally with me. Phew. The worker who showed me in seemed pretty relieved about something. If, had to guess, it was almost like they were glad their intuition was right on the money. I've got your dress, shoes, and everything else you'll need all ready for you. Is it almost time to put them to good use? Nice one, Johan. You've got some good intuition on ya. I'll be attending a Viscount's party nine days from now, so, was hoping you could let me change outfits here before, go. I'd also like to request a carriage, if that would be all. Right. Just leave it to me. This sounds like it'll be fun, so, think I'll tag along as well, but in a different carriage of course, I'll be sure to pretend like, don't know you. Seriously? But what about an invitation? Just who exactly do you think you're talking to? I'm the owner of a vast trading corporation who also happens to have a daughter at the perfect age to look for suitors. It's only a matter of time before they send one our way, and even if they don't take the initiative, all have to do is say that we wish to attend and they'll send one of their stewards rushing our way to get us one. My daughter was completely healed by the angel, the goddess sent after all. This could be a good chance to get back into mingling with high society. If we're talking about a party in nine days, it must be that birthday bash at the Lyadard household, am, right? Well, he already knew. That's the owner of a huge company for you. Oh, Keiru interjected, I'll be getting my own accessories ready, by the way, so no need to worry about that. Huh? Akil von Lyadard, the third oldest son of the Lyadard household, seemed restless as he nervously scanned the party venue. Is she here yet? No, still don't see her. It wasn't like he was doubting her, but he was uneasy about whether some sort of unforeseen trouble or accident could keep her from coming. Cedric, the guest of honor for today's party, was already in attendance, along with the rest of the Lyadart family. It appeared most of the guests had already arrived as well. This wasn't like parties back in Japan, where the host would give a speech right at the beginning. Carriages and wagons were the de facto method of transportation here, and were also the reason guests would often be late arriving to these soirees. That's why most people would chat and mingle for a certain amount of time before the hosts got into their speeches and whatnot, which was why it could be said the party had already begun. Right as Achilles' nerves were about to reach a breaking point, a small girl showed up at the party. Viscount Lyadard was suddenly made aware that the conversations he'd been hearing around him had died out and the party had gone completely silent. Did something happen? Not only was this a party for his oldest son, but a chance for him to find a suitable partner for himself. He couldn't let someone come in and rain on their parade. The Viscount turned his gaze to look where all the stupefied guests were focused, finding the source of the commotion to be a twelve-year-old girl. She had glossy black hair that came down to her shoulders, and a face that was quite pleasing on the eyes. The look in her own eyes was a bit sharp, but that showed how strong her will was as an aristocrat. And that outfit. Words couldn't describe the beauty of that pure white dress that adorned her figure. It was enough to make anyone think she was a member of royalty, and that wasn't even mentioning the jewels on her necklace and hair ornaments. Just how much could something like that be worth? No, it wasn't a simple matter of price here. There were just some things in this world that one couldn't buy, no matter how much money they managed to save, and it looked like that could perfectly describe the various accessories she wore. She was still a young girl, 
not quite of age yet, but that only meant it was a matter of waiting a few years. She had the type of beautiful, graceful figure that would make anyone more than happy to watch her mature from as close as they could get. Her eyes seemed to reveal how intelligent and sadistic, er, strong-willed she was, and who knew how many hundreds of gold coins her jewelry cost. What family does she belong to? Or is she a princess from some country attending undercover? Those eyes definitely make her seem like she would let out a high-pitched, derisive laugh someone of that stature would let out. The party stayed dead silent. Everyone watched as the girl walked directly toward where Viscount Lyodard and Cedric were seated, then took a right and headed for the food corner. The Viscount's head dropped in pure shock. She'd just blown right past them all. Everyone's heart stopped all at once when they saw her begin happily, and haphazardly, piling food onto her plate. Her dress is going to get dirty. Several maids practically flew over to her, taking the plate away from the girl and asking what she wanted so they could get it for her. Taking the now full plate back, the girl looked like she was in heaven as she dug into the food. Sound finally returned to the once quiet party, and a swarm of boys had formed around her, ready to try and talk to the girl. However, it was basic manners not to talk with someone who was holding a plate of food, and none of them were able to approach as she showed no signs of stopping her personal all-you-can-eat buffet. And boy did the girl just keep on eating. The group of men were restless and fidgeting, each one ready to fight for the chance to talk with her first. The girl glanced over toward the men, then finally set her plate down on the table. And now's our chance. Right when the boys scrambled at the chance to be the first one to talk with her. Thanks for inviting me, Akil the girl announced with a smile, staring straight at the third oldest son of the Lyodard household. Kekeru. Akil barely managed to reply, his mouth agape. What's going on here? That girl knows Akil somehow? But even though I'm curious, can't just butt into the conversation, have to fulfill my duty as host of the party. Viscount Lyodard suppressed his urge to rush over to his son and begin interrogating the boy for all the details. Cedric was dying to know what was going on as well, but he was stuck in the same position as his father and couldn't leave his seat at the host's table. He had to stay there so they could both greet the various families and potential wives who came to see them. Just who is that girl, and how does she know I kill? The two thought, would you be kind enough to introduce this young lady to us, Sir Akil? The group of men surrounding Akil asked, urging him along. It would be a cinch to approach her if she were alone, but if the girl's family, friends, or acquaintances were in attendance as well, it was an unspoken rule to have them introduce her to the men instead. All right. This is Keiru. There wasn't anything else he could say besides that. She couldn't say her family name since she was only a commoner, and there wasn't any way he could tell them she was the housekeeper for his workshop. If he tried introducing her like that when she was wearing such a dress and jewelry, they were liable to tell him to quit screwing around. Akil was at a loss for what to do, which was when Kairu came to his rescue. My name's Kairu, and as for my family name, let's just keep that a secret for now, please. Their suspicions Kairu was here incognito were all but confirmed by the fact that she was hiding her name. Judging by the way Akil was acting, they came to the conclusion the two were no more than acquaintances at best, and the scramble to be the first to talk with her was on once more. 
They made sure not to ask about where she came from, and no one here was rude enough to ask how old a lady was of course. Do you happen to have a significant other you're engaged to, Keiru? No, not yet. It's a tradition in our family for us to find a gentleman ourselves, you see. The excitement of the group was reaching a fever pitch as they saw Keiru gently smile at them. Their ages ranged from early to late teens, some a little older than that, and some even older. There was definitely a wide variety of men around her. How do you happen to know Akil? He's one of the first friends, made after coming to this country, and I'm indebted to him for what he's done for me. He even eats my cooking and tells me it's delicious. She wasn't lying. Though the gathering hadn't thought there was anything special between Akil and the girl, they were all on high alert now that they'd heard she'd make home-cooked meals for him. She was even casual enough to address him without. Using any titles. You can cook? Can. I'd say I'm pretty good at it too. When heard they'd be serving a feast at this party, asked Akil to let me come as well so, could compare it with my own country's dishes. So that explains why she was digging in earlier, thought the flock around her. In reality, Kaoru just wanted to stuff her face after seeing the spread here. She'd always been raised with the idea of getting her money's worth out of all Yotsanit buffets after all, though it hadn't cost her a single coin to get into the party. W.L., then you should come to a party at our estate as well. You could try a whole assortment of our best dishes there. Well, our head chef used to work at the royal palace, you see. But in our family. What followed was an almost endless stream of invitations for Keiru to try their various households cooking and join their parties. Akil couldn't say a word to her. He was shaken after witnessing this new side of Keiru, a girl who didn't seem like a commoner in the slightest. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you kindly for coming today. Discount Lyadart's voice echoed throughout the party venue, signaling it was time to begin formal introductions. The group surrounding Keiru couldn't just ignore this, so they scattered and headed toward the front. After thanking the guests for taking time out of their schedules to come to the party, the discount touched upon some of the recent happenings in the kingdom before finally introducing the main focus of the occasion, Cedric. He also made sure to talk about his second and third sons, as well. Mentioning that Cedric and Akil specifically were still without their own fiancés. When he did, he sent a quick glance toward Akil and the raven-haired girl standing next to his son. After the introductions and speeches were finished, the conversations from before started up once more, and the same gaggle of guys from before were heading back toward Keiru. This time, however, there was an entirely new wave of people forming. Hey, Akil, what are they all doing? A flood of girls were making their way toward the Viscount and Cedric, each one of them holding something in their hands. Oh, right, them. Those girls are heading over to see my brother and give him gifts. It's sort of a way of telling him to remember my name, please, by doing that, Akil answered back, finally able to get a word in with Keiru. Anyone who's already married, going to be married, or in a relationship with someone won't go though. Huh? You didn't tell me about that. That's because it doesn't have anything to do with you, right? Keiru sank deep in thought after hearing that. Hmm. All right, change of plans, I'm going up there. I'll just go and say hi as well then. Huh? Wait, what? What are you? Wait, you can't. Don't go. 
The color quickly drained from Achilles' face as he desperately tried holding me back, but nimbly slid my arm from his grip and headed toward the host's table. Scanned the room as did, checking to see which of the servants here matched the description of the person Achille was telling me about earlier. By the time, made it to the front of the room, the line of girls had stretched out pretty far. It looked like everyone had the hots for the oldest son, slash wonder why. Oh my, are you going to meet with Sir Cedric as well? After, took my place in the back of the line, the girl just in front of me spoke up. She had golden blonde pigtails done to look like two spiraling drills that curled down toward the floor, and she really gave off that rich aristocrat girl vibe. It appears you don't have anything to present him with though, doesn't it? Are you planning on greeting him empty-handed? It was hard to tell if she was throwing shade my way because I'd been the center of attention for all those guys earlier, or because I'd stumbled into a battlefield where all the girls here were vying for Cedric's attention. Oh, that's all right. No need to worry about me, said with a casual reply. Oh, is that so? By the by, I've heard girls who have dropped and broken their presence would do things such as kiss the hand of the person they met with, or give them permission to call them by a pet name in lieu of gifts, the aristocratic girl said before turning back around with a amph. That was probably her giving me advice since it looked like, didn't have anything to give Cedric. W.O. She's actually a really nice girl. Each girl in line would hand Cedric their gift and chat with him a little before switching with whoever was next. The amount of them left gradually dwindled, and it finally came to be Kaira's turn, who was waiting at the end of the line. Wait, you're... Cedric couldn't hide his shock at seeing the raven-haired girl from before, especially since he wasn't expecting her to come to see him. So you're not my little brother's girlfriend? I'm a friend of Akil. He's a very nice person. A nice person, huh? Ha <laughs> ha. Cedric gave a feeble chuckle, feeling a bit sorry for his little brother, while this Count Lyodart let out a strained laugh from beside him. Thank you very much for inviting me today. Wanted to take the chance to meet Achilles' father and older brother, so, ended up in line as well. Speaking of my little brother, Cedric said, glancing at a very pale Achille, it looks like he's about to keel over at any second. Anyway, didn't want to line up without having anything to give, so, without further ado. Though she said that, it didn't seem like the girl had anything on her, and it wasn't like she was going to give him any of the jewels laden in the accessories she wore. Do you think you could call Calvin here? What? Cedric was rendered speechless after hearing the last words he ever expected to come from the girl's mouth. Calvin was one of the guards assigned to protecting Cedric but also his sparring partner for training in swordplay. Cedric looked to Calvin as an older brother and a friend. One day, Cedric had managed to shake free of the vassal in charge of watching over him, and went off to recklessly hunt on his own. He was eventually set upon by a gray bear, and Calvin stepped in to protect him, taking on grievous wounds in the process. Calvin lost the ability to use his left leg because of the incident which meant not only could he no longer fulfill his role of guarding Cedric, but he couldn't take on work as a soldier or hunter either. In fact, there weren't really any jobs for a man with a lame leg who only had a talent for wielding a sword. But even if he'd lost his ability to work as a swordsman, there was no way Cedric could just drive him away when it was Cedric's own foolish actions that caused Calvin to lose his future in the first place. 
The Viscount had no intention of abandoning the man who injured himself, protecting A.A. Noble's son either. Because Calvin wasn't able to freely use his leg anymore, he was kept on as a servant instead. He'd considered retiring on his own if he couldn't be of use to the family employing him. However, he began thinking of ways he may be useful if he stayed on as a servant, like blending in with the other workers to fend off thieves and intruders in the event of a home invasion, or becoming a shield to protect those he served should it come down to it. That was how he built up the determination to work as a servant instead. To Cedric, though, it was a constant reminder of his guilt and self-loathing over what had happened. And now, this girl was telling him to call Calvin here and show everyone just how foolish he'd been. So, Cedric grimaced. You want me to call Calvin? Yes, please do. It was impossible to tell if the girl knew about the suffering Cedric had gone through. She merely stared straight at him, never breaking eye contact. Silence. No one was able to make a sound in the dead quiet of the room. Even Viscount Lyodard couldn't help but hold his tongue. Calvin, come here. Cedric ordered, finally breaking the silence. A servant slowly approached Cedric, dragging his left leg along as he did. Ladies and gentlemen. Kairu shouted, addressing the partygoers. Here stands Calvin, a man who stood between Cedric and a gray bear, to protect his charge. Murmurs of admiration filled the room. There weren't any nobles who hadn't heard the story of how Prince Roland used his body as a shield to save his little brother, the now current king. Hearing of someone who did essentially the same thing deserved their respect and commendation. But because of his injuries, he was no longer able to fight. Cedric's face twisted in anguish at her words, but Calvin didn't seem to pay it any mind. Kairu then took a wine glass that wasn't being used from the table. Here before you stands a man who was faithful enough to sacrifice his own body to protect the son of the man he serves, and the Viscount has kept him in service to show gratitude for that loyalty. Anyone who thinks they are at all worthy enough to receive the blessing of the goddess, please raise your right hand. Everyone present did so, there wasn't a single person here dense enough not to, who knew what people would say if they didn't. Next, reach out and face the palms of your hands toward this glass. Kaira thrust the wine glass she held in her right hand into the air. Everyone, pray for the blessing of the goddess. The guests all turned their palms to the glass, going along with the mood in the room. The moment they did, a red mist began forming a few centimeters above the glass Kaira still held. As they partygoers looked on in astonishment, the mist gradually came together to form red droplets of liquid eventually turning into a sphere that plopped down into the wine glass with a soft, splashing noise. Here, Calvin, Kairu proclaimed, her voice ringing out loud and clear throughout the room. The other guests couldn't make a sound, their ability to soak overpowered by the shock and awe that gripped them. She held out the glass to him, but Calvin was frozen in place. Ah. A.B.H. Kairu walked over to him taking his hand and having him take the glass. Drink this, please. With trembling hands, he brought the glass to his lips and down the red liquid it held. Then, it's moving. I it's bending just like it could before. At first, he only tried gingerly moving it, slowly putting more and more strength into his movements as he kept testing his leg. Eventually, he even began jumping up and down on it. 
After trying out moving his leg to his heart's content, he turned toward Cedric. Haha, can move it. Now I can accompany you to the mountains or the fields, and we can train in swordplay again, can protect you, again. The rest of his words were overtaken by sobs as he broke down crying. Cedric ran over and embraced him, tears streaming down both their cheeks. Calvin. Oh, Calvin. Tears welled up in the eyes of those watching, touched by the display. Voices tinged with emotion could be heard throughout the room, spurred on after seeing the powerful bond between master and servant. They praised the benevolent goddess of this world for the miracle they witnessed today, offering up prayers to her. They turned their eyes toward the raven-haired girl who acted as the messenger who'd brought about the first miracle from the goddess in decades, but the girl was nowhere to be found. Johann Abelai was in a corner of the room at the party, wine glass in hand and basking in the emotions overflowing throughout the room. Well, wasn't that something? He'd already seen the effects of the girl's medicine before, but he was still surprised by the events that had transpired all the same. Not to mention the luxurious gemstones she was wearing that not even a big name, merchant like himself was sure he could get together on such short notice. Just who is that girl anyway? Wait, what am I saying? She has to be an angel sent by the goddess, no doubt about IES. There was a single glass bottle stored inside Kaira's item box. The jewel-encrusted hair ornament attached to the lid and the necklace laden with gems wrapped around her neck had already been taken away, making it look nothing more than a cheap glass medicine bottle. You will have the power to create any medicine with the exact effect you imagine it to have, in any container you are thinking of. There wasn't anyone at the Viscount's party who'd been present for the miracle that happened months ago in the royal palace. If there were, they'd have noticed right away that this was almost the exact same thing that happened back then. That said, anyone important enough to be able to sit with the king while they held an audience would be too high a standing to bother themselves with attending a Viscount's party. They were all getting on in their years as well, and didn't have any children who were old enough to not have been married already. On top of that, after he'd been blessed with the miraculous tears of the goddess, Prince Roland had asked the temples and other aristocrats not to pry into the knight Francette and the other members of the Adon family who had spoken with the goddess. This strict regulation over the information meant there were very few who knew about the miracle that had taken place. For something like this, however, it was only a matter of time before word reached the palace, the temples, and, eventually, all the citizens of the country. Commoners and aristocrats alike Akil was slowly creeping his way to the door, taking care to make sure no one noticed him. Since Kairu had gone off and disappeared somewhere, it was guaranteed people would start barraging him with questions any second now, but he had no answers to give them. Have to get out of here, and have to do it now. The door is so close. Just a little bit farther. Almost there. At the same time, Kairu had already successfully made her escape from the Viscount's estate, hopping into the carriage waiting for her outside and heading toward the Abelai Trade Company. The driver was part of the company as well, and wouldn't spill the beans about Kairu to anyone. They took precautions against anyone tailing them back by taking a bit of a detour before they arrived at their destination. If there really was anyone trailing them, there was a group of children on standby ready to interfere should the need arise. There wasn't anyone pursuing the carriage however, so, in the end, their services weren't needed. A little while later, 
Akil was successful in his escape from the party as well. It was easier for him to slip out undetected since everyone still had Kairu on their minds. There wasn't a doubt in his mind that he was going to be interrogated by his father and brother if he stayed at the mansion, and there was a chance the guests would jump in with questions of their own as well. The only choice left for him now was to flee to the workshop. Since he'd left on foot, it was late in the evening by the time he made it there, and no one else was awake when he arrived. He crept inside and changed into his work clothes, before laying down in a corner of the room. Kaira may just stay in hiding after showing off that power of hers in front of so many people, Akil thought to himself. She may never come back here again, all because. Forced her to do this for me. He didn't have the courage to propose to Kairu, who was still just a child. Though he said he just needed her to pretend she was his fiancée for a day, it would be a lie to say he wasn't hoping it would only be a matter of time before it wouldn't just be an act after he introduced her to his father. Though, Kairu had refused the idea in the first place because she didn't want to make it seem like she broke off an engagement. But if he could have just had his father meet her at the party, he was sure she wouldn't have objected to that. He believed his father would have realized it wasn't just Kairu's looks that were amazing, but also how special she truly was if they could have just talked. But the truth was that Kairu had lined up to participate in the courting ceremony instead, and even showed off her powers as a messenger of the goddess, before that huge crowd of people. Kairu was smart, so there was no way she didn't know what the consequences were for doing something like that. She'd even kept that a secret up until then exactly because she knew what would happen. Was she feeling sorry for Calvin after, told her about him? Was it, because she liked my brother instead? Kaira may never come back here now. At this rate, she may just disappear forever. His mind was clouded with regret, making it all the harder to get any sleep that night. The next morning. M used to dozing off in the lab, but my body still kind of aches a little after. As, groggily thought that to himself, a voice called out to me, just like always. Oh, you're awake, Akil. Your body's gonna make you regret it if you keep sleeping like that. Kairu greeted me with the same thing she said every time, spent the night here at the workshop, but... No, wait. What? Kairu? What's wrong? You look like you've seen a ghost or something. Come on, already have breakfast ready. You told me you didn't need it since you'd be staying at your place, but then, found you sleeping here. So, had to scramble to make some for you, I'll have you know. There she was, same as always, like nothing had ever happened. Huh? Who? What was all that regret and despair, felt yesterday for then? A messenger from home came to the workshop a short while after we finished breakfast. The message, return home immediately. Yeah, figured as much. Took Kairu back to the storage room with me to ask her about what happened at the party yesterday. Albin and Brian were staring daggers at me when, took Kairu's hand to lead her there, but, swear wasn't doing anything, guys. We were just gonna talk, that was all. From what she told me, it sounded like she took a carriage back to her friend's place and got changed there, before coming back. Since I'd come back to the workshop on foot, she was already in bed by the time, got back. But that isn't what, wanted to ask about. Um, Kairu, about what happened yesterday. Oh, the dress? My friend got that ready for me too. No, not that. I'm talking about, you know, 
the thing with you healing Calvin's wounds, and that power of yours. Oh, that. It's just something, got from the goddess. S.H. she said it so casually. Could only fall to my knees. The story, heard from Kairu went a little something like this. She'd actually come from some faraway country, and the goddess Celestine had taken a liking to her and gave her this strange power. But for some reason, she wasn't able to stay in her country. In her own words, I'll leave it to you to guess why. She'd been living a normal life after coming to this particular country, but she was beginning to fret over whether using the gift she received from the goddess to help those in need was the right thing to do. So eventually, she came to the conclusion that, if were to be hunted down if only a certain few found out about what can do, then no one should be able to try and take me all for themselves if everyone knew about it. That way, she figured, no one should be able to try and capture her for their own personal use. Last night was when, finally had a chance to go through with it with all those nobles there, and went ahead and took it. Sorry about that. Wait, so does that mean you didn't line up for the courting ceremony, because you were interested in Cedric? Courting ceremony? What's that? And no, haha, it's nothing. Haha. Ha, a feeble laugh escaped my lips. Be but, that's not the point here. What are you planning on doing now? This is going to blow up for sure. How am going to explain this to my father? No, making sure you're safe should take priority here. As panicked over what to do, Keiru answered me with a calm look on her face. People will have a hard time believing what happened last night when they first hear about it so I'm sure nothing is really going to happen today or tomorrow. With that many aristocrats there though, I'm sure the big wigs should be making their move in the next few days or so. The rumor.